Last week, we started our look at the book of Ruth, so we just started this series just a week ago, and we're still in chapter 1 today, and if you would, please take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. As we work our way through this first chapter, today we're going to be talking about this idea of going where the Spirit of God leads you, and there's a great example of that in chapter 1 here. We're going to pick up at verse 6, and I'm going to read down to verse 18. So Ruth chapter 1, starting with verse 6, this is what it states. It says, Then she arose, and and it's speaking of Naomi here, it says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this together today. And Lord, as we look at this this portion of your word, we pray that you'd help us to understand it. We pray that you'd guide us and direct us in the midst of studying it. But Lord, we pray that we'd also understand more about this idea of going where your Spirit is leading us. We see that taking place here in, in this portion of Ruth's book. But we also know that that's something that you give us the opportunity to experience and live out as we entrust our lives over to you. So we pray, Lord, that that would be something that you would have just freshly placed on our minds and on our hearts today, and that we would simply entrust our lives over to your care with the willingness to go where your spirit guides and leads us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So... When our hearts are submitted over to the Lord and when His will becomes our priority, 
our desires change. And one of the things that you'll notice when you submit your life over to the Lord, you're going to have a desire to do what gives Him glory. You're going to have a desire to do what honors Him. We will care about what matters to Him, and we'll notice the things that are pointed out to us by Him. That's one of the benefits and blessings that we experience as we submit our lives over to the Lord in faith. And as we seek to live in the center of His will, so as you and I seek to do that, we'll seek to follow His leading in all areas of life, including what we do and where we go. Now, throughout the course of my adult life, and maybe I'm not the only one that's kind of uh, approached the season of life this way, but Throughout the course of my adult life, this is a question that I I regularly force myself to bring up before the Lord. I want to know, Lord, am I doing what you want me to do, and am I where you want me to be? And that gets, uh, in my mind anyway, a more to be, it becomes a more difficult question to ask the older I get, and the reason it becomes a more difficult question is because your life finds a rhythm. Your life finds a pattern. And so, that, that's something that I bring before him, and at certain times in my adult life, I found myself really wrestling with that decision. And usually, it was prior to the Lord impressing upon my heart the desire to change something major about the nature of my service or the nature of my role in ministry. And then other times, I've had seasons where I've operated with what seemed like absolute clarity, clarity about what he wanted me to do, clarity about where he wanted me to be. And I have to say, of the two, that's the more enjoyable spot to be in. But I also think that there's benefit in allowing the Lord to work in your heart and give you those sorts of confirmation as you submit your will over to Him, even if He starts nudging you in a direction that you don't want to go. And I think at times it could be a healthy subject to to wrestle with because I think it causes our faith to be stretched. I think it, it can help us not to become complacent. I think it's a topic that causes us to trust the Lord while continuing to remain faithful to the task that He's entrusted to us. And I think it's also a topic that can force us to trust the Lord to show us new things as He opens up new doors and new opportunities before us. And as I just read that portion of Scripture from Ruth chapter 1, I bring that up just by way of contemporary example, the type of things that you and I wrestle with, because Ruth chapter 1, when you look at verse 6 down to verse 18, Naomi and Orpah and Ruth were presented with that exact kind of season, where they were wrestling with what they were supposed to do. When they're they're thinking about, all right, what does the Lord have next for me, or does the Lord want me to remain in the context that I'm presently in? And uh, in a short period of time, as you look at the opening verses of of this chapter, and you see the things that have taken place in the lives of these women, each of these women had just lost their husbands. Not an easy thing for anyone to go through at any season of life, but here these women were now left with the difficult decision of trying to figure out what do we do next, because they're living in a context where that wasn't, that's not easy in any context, but it was particularly not easy in the context in which they lived in, where the culture was harsh, the culture was difficult, the culture was not highly respectful to women. Women in many respects were treated like property, and I think in many respects they looked at their context and thought, this is a very desperate situation that we were in. And they're wondering, should they remain united as a family, even though it was kind of like an unconventional family arrangement, or should we press on for what, uh, toward what the Lord has next for us? Uh, or should we, you know, maybe just say our, our, our goodbyes and uh, maybe go back to our families of origin 
These were the options that were presented before these women. These are the type of things that they were thinking about. Now, at this season of life, when you look at Naomi, Naomi being the oldest among them, Naomi being the mother-in-law, she was understandably discouraged, and she was feeling a bit bitter and a bit disappointed about her circumstances. This was not the life that she envisioned for herself when she was younger. Now, I don't know that we should do this a whole ton, but have you ever thought back to what you thought your adult life was going to be like when you were younger? Does it match up, or does it not look anything like what you thought your adult life was going to look like? There are certain areas of, of my life right now that look exactly like I hoped they would look, and then other areas of my life that look completely different from what I thought my future life was going to look like. And uh, it's interesting to kind of wrestle with that, and I think when you look at Naomi's situation here, she was in the midst of living a life that was not what she envisioned for herself when she was younger. I'm certain of it. When she and her husband got married, I think they probably had visions of a happy family life in the land of Judah, a life where their sons would marry local girls, and they would enjoy their life together. They'd raise healthy and happy children. Their needs would be met by the Lord's provision as He blessed the work of their hands, and all of that changed. Every one of those things that would be the typical things that any of us throughout the course of our life would be most likely to think, you know, that's what I kind of want my life to look like. It all changed. We're told in the earlier verses of this chapter that famine ravaged the land of Judah, and so that drove Elimelech and Naomi and their family to Moab. So there they are living in Moab, Moab being an area filled with people that typically set themselves against the people of Judah and the people of Israel. And then their sons marry Moabite women. That's trouble, right? And some of you right now are looking at your sons and saying, listen, don't marry a Moabite, all right? If any advice I've ever given you in your life sticks, don't marry a Moabite. Has anyone ever given that advice? You've given something like that. I don't think they wanted their children to marry to marry Moabites. These were people that were historically in conflict with Israel, in conflict with Judah. Their sons marry Moabite women. Amazingly, it works out well. Um, but the part that doesn't work out well is the fact that, that even though these women ended up being you know, seemingly wonderful women, all the men of the household died much earlier than expected. They all died. In short order, they all died. And so now Naomi is left with her daughters-in-law, she's left with Orpah, she's left with Ruth, and she's being forced to make decisions as the matriarch of this new unconventional family, and she's trying to figure out what will life look like next for each of us in the midst of this situation. And so the scripture tells us that as she's looking at her daughters-in-law, she advises them to do what seems safest in the midst of the rough and godless culture that they were living in. So she strongly advises Orpah, And she strongly advises Ruth to return to their birth families and to live under the protective care of their mother's households. That's what she wants them to do. Now, as she says this, the scripture tells us that initially they protest this suggestion. This isn't something that initially that they receive super well, but with a little more prodding, Naomi's being a bit insistent, and she's trying to suggest what she thinks is going to be for their safety and for their benefit, and and you have Orpah, one of her daughters-in-law, finally agreeing to go back to her family. And so she kisses Naomi, and then she moves along. She goes back to her family. But the scripture tells us that Ruth, on the other hand, refused. And the way it says that that she refused, she just clung to Naomi. She clung to her. In fact, it says in in Ruth chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, let me bring it up on the screen for us. 
It says, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. She looks at the situation and realizes, all right, there's not going to be any persuading Ruth to change her mind. She's not going to change her mind. This is how it is. She's also now made a, a pledge. She's made this promise before the throne of God. And so at this point now, she's, she's fully committed herself on every level, relationally, emotionally, and spiritually, to carrying through with staying with Naomi. And when I read the story of these women, I'm not sitting in judgment on any of the decisions that they made. So I'm not, I'm not even sitting on judgment in the decision that Orpah made, at least to a degree, because you could look at that and you could say, it's easy to understand why she may have felt pressure to do what she did. It maybe in her thinking seemed wise, also probably seemed wise to Naomi to actually suggest that to her. But I have to say, it does warm my heart when I read Ruth's response. When I see what Ruth said here, when I witness the demonstration of her love, when I witness the demonstration of her loyalty that she showed toward her mother-in-law, it's something that warms my heart. It's something that I think is beautiful. In reading her words and in observing her actions and seeing the things that she decided to do, while also seeing the long-term effects of those choices as they get outlined throughout this book and, and elsewhere in Scripture, it's very clear that the Holy Spirit was leading Ruth in what she was doing. This was the Spirit of God leading Ruth to have these convictions. This was the Spirit of God leading the direction that her life was taking. This is the Spirit of God putting these ideas in her mind. And I think that that's a beautiful example for you and I to start thinking about because I have a lot of ideas all the time, right? I, I always joke with my wife, I dream, I see, no, I don't know what you're saying, but I see in the back she's smiling and she was about to say something to my son. I don't know what you were saying to him, but I'm just going to interrupt because it's my turn to talk right now. You have to have a, you have to have a microphone in the service to, to use words, I think. I think that's a rule somewhere. If not, we might make it one. I don't know what you're about to say, but I'll tell you what. She'll, and she'll, I, I, you'd say whatever you want, but you'll probably confirm this. Um, I think I do more dreaming when I'm awake than I do when I'm asleep. Is anyone else kind of odd like that? I really do. I really think I dream more awake than I do when I'm asleep. I'm a daydreamer. You know, I, I like to think about stuff. I like to see things. Now, in many respects, I actually think it's, it's faith. It's a, it can be an expression of faith. It could also be an expression of boredom. It just depends on the day, right? Uh, but a lot of times I've noticed in those moments, it's actually an expression of faith where I'm trying to see things in accordance with the Lord's will before I can see them with my natural eyes. So do you ever find yourself in a spot like that where you're saying, all right, Lord, help me to see by faith what you want me to see by faith, even before my actual physical eyes are seeing it. I want, I want my heart and my mind to see it, and then maybe my eyes will see it somewhere along the way. And, uh, and I think, you know, when you look at Ruth and when you look at some of the things that she was experiencing, you have the Holy Spirit putting something in her mind, putting something in her heart, helping her to see things that, naturally speaking, you wouldn't expect her to see. I think Orpah was showing a demonstration of going where you would naturally see. And Ruth was going in a direction that you would, 
you could only go if you were seeing something supernaturally that the Holy Spirit was placing upon your heart and placing upon your mind. Ruth basically here expresses the fact that she was intent on being one with Naomi's people. It's one of the things she says here, I want to be one with your people. She was committing to, to worship Naomi's God, saying, I'm going to worship your God. And this is an era where gods were thought of not so much in a universal sense, but in a local sense. You know, people would, would look at it, it's like, oh, you're from Moab, so you worship the Moabite gods. Oh, you're from Judah, so you worship the God of Judah. That's kind of how people thought about things at this time. And so you have Ruth saying, no, I'm going to worship the God of Judah. I'm going to worship the true and living God, not the false gods of the Moabites that basically she had been raised to worship and had likely been worshiping in her youth. And you also have Ruth here committing herself to the Lord's hand of justice should she ever break this pledge that she's made to Naomi. And by the way, there are long-term spiritual impl implications for this decision. And I'll spoil the ending. When you look at the genealogy of Jesus, when you look at his earthly genealogy, his earthly genealogy is traced through Ruth. So there are implications for what you and I experience as far as the Messiah coming to this earth that, are, that come right back to this decision being made here. And that's why I'm saying I don't think this is just a natural decision on Ruth's part. This is all part of God's long-term plan to bring the Messiah into this world and through that lineage. And so Ruth here is saying, no, I'm not going anywhere except but with, but with you, Naomi. Your God is going to be my God. And I know I grew up a Moabitess. I know I grew up among the people of Moab worshiping their gods. But your God's going to be my God. Your people's going to be my people. And your land's going to be my land. She committed herself to the Lord's hand of justice should she ever go back on that kind of pledge. And I can't help but be impacted when I contemplate this demonstration of love and loyalty. I look at this and I think, Lord, make me that kind of person. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's the type of person I want, I want to be, that if, if something comes out of my mouth, that if I say something, if, I, if I'm uh, claiming to, to, to love my family or claiming to, to be a true friend to someone, that it reflects the heart of Christ in a way like I see Ruth demonstrating the heart of Christ to Naomi in this context. And by the way, even when we look at this sort of thing, this vividly reminds me, when you, when you, see, when you see Ruth saying, all right, your God's going to be my God, your people are going to be my people. This vividly reminds me of the kind of change that we experience when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I want us to think about that for just a second. Prior to knowing him, how were we living, according to what Scripture says? Prior to knowing Jesus Christ, Scripture actually tells us that we lived as foreigners and aliens to his promises and to the hope that he supplies. We were foreign to that. We were living as aliens to those things. But after coming to know him, Scripture tells us that we're united to Him and become part of a brand new family, the church. That's what Jesus Christ accomplishes for you and for me. In fact, I love what we're told in Ephesians chapter 2. When you look at verse 11 down to verse 13, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I'm going to give you a theological word that is also a common word that we use. We use the word reconciliation. Reconciliation. 
right? When you think of the word reconciliation, the biblical definition for reconciliation is illustrated in this passage. You who were once far off have been brought near. That's reconciliation, taking one who was far away and bringing them near. So what, what has happened in relation to, to our walk with our Creator? What's happened in, in, in regard to our walk with the Lord because of the work of Jesus Christ? We who were once away have been brought near. We've been reconciled. We've been reconciled to God. Now, looking back at Ruth and Naomi here, it would have been easy for Naomi and would have been easy for Ruth to say they were hopeless in this world. In the context they were living in, they could have said, you know, we're hopeless in this world. But it's clear to me when you look at Ruth's words here and you could see what the Spirit of God was putting in her mind to purpose to do and to say, it's very clear that she saw a glimmer of hope. There's a glimmer of hope here that the Spirit of God is giving her. And she decides in this moment to submit her life and to submit her will to that of the living God. And again, I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 where he reminds us that at one time we were also without hope. We were also without God in this world, but we've been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. Through faith in Jesus, we experience spiritual reconciliation with our Creator and in Jesus our weary and worried souls find rest. That's a good thing. Now, I want, us to, I want to pose that as a question really quickly. Where will we truly find rest? Just think about that as a personal question. Because this is something that Naomi and Ruth are in the process of wrestling with in the era in which they live. In fact, in uh, verse 9 of Ruth chapter 1, you have this statement that's made. The Lord grant, so you have Naomi saying this. She says, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So that was said in the context of Naomi openly like encouraging them to go back to their family of origin. And so you have Naomi openly praying that eventually Orpah and Ruth would find rest from their def- desperate situation in a, in a different home right, in a different home, each of you in the house of her husband. Now, obviously, Naomi meant well in saying this, but there's a deeper form of rest than what can be found in earthly relationships or earthly circumstances that we would say are ideal. There's a deeper form of rest that the Lord wants us to wrestle with and that the Lord wants us to actually obtain. In fact, Scripture reminds us that our hearts can find everlasting rest even if our earthly circumstances are far from ideal. And again, I want you to think about this, especially if your adult life looks far different from what you anticipated it looking like at this particular season. The kind of peace that we need, so the kind of peace that you need, kind of peace that I need, kind of peace that every one of us on this earth needs, a peace that passes all understanding, it's found in Jesus Christ, and we're not going to find that peace in anyone or anything less than Him. Do you ever take the time, by the way, if you've never done this, I'd encourage you to do this, but if, if, you, if you've never taken the time to do this, read Augustine's Confessions, or at least part of it. Very interesting spiritual treatise, and he's very transparent about his own life, about his failures, about some of the things that the Lord taught him all throughout the course of his life, how he went from disbelief to genuine belief in the Lord, and the Lord blessed Augustine with a a real understanding for the Scriptures and and how that 
is synthesized in different theological things. And he made a statement that I want to show us. I just want to bring the quote up on the screen. Augustine said it this way. He says, because you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. So he's saying this as a reflection. He's also saying this as a prayer. He's thinking about the nature of how God has caused us to operate or created us to operate. And he says, because you have made us for yourself. So think about that in a personal way. The Lord has made you for himself. Because you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. What do you think about that statement? Is Augustine's statement true? That our hearts are restless until they find their rest in the Lord? Is that what the Bible teaches? Absolutely. That's what the Bible teaches. In fact, I love what it tells us in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus makes this comment. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. He says, I will give you rest. That's what I'm going to give you, Jesus says. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Now, again, he's not just talking about from our physical labors. He's talking about the deeper level kind of labor that our spirits do. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I love that Jesus said that. I love that he meant it, and I love that he actually supplies it. And Jesus comments, by the way, in Matthew chapter 11, those are some of his most quoted words. I bet if you've been a believer for any length of time, you have heard those words quoted many, many times. I think I've quoted them many times throughout the course of the years that I've been preaching from this pulpit, and I think about it certainly a lot, and I'm certain that you probably think about it a lot. But it's, it's some of his most quoted words, and I think that's for good reason, because in these words... What you have Jesus doing is he boils down, uh, you know, just the true nature of what the human heart is seeking. He says, I know what your heart's seeking. I know what you're looking for. He boils down the essence of what we're seeking. We're seeking to be unburdened. We're seeking and longing for rest for our souls. And many people spend their entire lives struggling to find it and not landing on the right thing. But when we find Jesus, or more better said, when he finds us, When Jesus enters the picture, when he offers us what we truly need from the only source that could ever meet that need, and we receive that from him, what ends up happening is we find rest for our souls, just like he promised. And with divine compassion, Jesus looks at those who are weary, and he offers us rest in him. He says, this is what I'm offering you. I offer you rest. He's offering us not what the world can offer us. This world can only offer us conditional circumstances that are always changing. So if my sense of rest is, try, is, is me trying to find some sense of worldly peace through circumstances that change continually or earthly relationships that change continually, then I will never find rest here on this earth. But if I want to find rest on this earth, I need to find that rest from one who is beyond this earth, and that's Jesus Christ himself. He's saying, if your soul wants to be unburdened, if, if your soul wants to find the genuine peace that I know it's longing for, he says, he says, I'll give that to you. He says, I will give you rest. Meaning, you don't have to earn rest. You don't have to keep seeking rest from 30 other sources. He says, I'll give it to you. Jesus says, I will give that to you. You may have that. As we trust in him, we may have that. That's what he offers us. Now, keep that in mind 
as we come back to something else in the story of Ruth and Naomi here. And I want to make the statement, remaining loyal may not be the safest thing to do, but it demonstrates genuine love. Again, looking back at Ruth's words to Naomi, what else are we shown in that portion of Scripture? What deeper level principles are illustrated by her actions? Ruth could have taken the more culturally obvious and um, more naturally derived path and returned back to her family, but the Scripture tells us that's not what she chose to do. She chose the harder path. She made the decision that may not have seemed as safe as her other options. Her safest option seemed to be to go back to her family of origin. Naturally speaking, that's what most people would have said. This is your safe option. This is the safe choice. But Ruth chose the not-so-safe choice. Ruth chose loyalty over safety. Just rest on that statement for just a moment. Ruth chose loyalty over safety. And again, remaining loyal may not be the safest thing to do, but it does demonstrate genuine love, and we certainly see that in this portion of Scripture. And let me just ask this again in our relationship with Jesus Christ or in relation to our walk with Jesus Christ. But in your walk with Jesus, could you honestly say that you're demonstrating loyalty to Him that is the fruit of genuine love? Are you demonstrating loyalty to Christ that's the fruit of genuine love? Or, you know, we could ask it this way, too. And maybe it'd even be better to ask this first. Is Jesus demonstrating loyalty to you that is the fruit of his genuine love for you? In your lowest seasons, has he ever abandoned you? No, he hasn't. In your immature moments when you might have expected him to be embarrassed to be associated with you, did he ever leave? No, he remained. Hebrews 2.11 speaks to that. It says it this way. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to call those that he has made holy his brothers and sisters. Jesus didn't choose what was safe when he gave himself to rescue us. He didn't choose what was safe. He chose what was unsafe. He chose what was painful. He chose to experience death on our behalf. He took the painful but necessary path to the cross in order to make us holy, in order to reconcile us to the Father, and in order to unite us as family. And he's not ashamed to be associated with anyone that he's brought into that family. One other thing that I think the, this portion of, of Ruth's book helps us to kind of wrestle with, and we see this by her example, and that's this. When the true God reveals himself to you, there is no need to return to false gods and idols. There's no need to return to that. So again, when we read the story of Naomi's daughters-in-law, there's a definite contrast that's being shown in their responses to the trial that's at hand here. And even though her decision came with tears and initial resistance, in the end, we see that Orpah, she returned to the people that she came from. She returned to the false gods that she had worshipped in her youth. She returned to them. But Ruth did not. So there is a contrast here. Ruth drew a very distinct line in the sand that she would not cross. She's saying basically under penalty of death, she's saying I'm calling down divine judgment on myself. If I cross this line, I will not return to the life that I came from. I will not return to it. She refused to go back to where she came from. She refused to bow her knee to the gods of the Moabites any longer. She said, I won't do it. Under penalty of death, I won't do it. Now, 
I don't know how often you reflect upon your life before coming to know Christ, but I imagine it comes back to your mind from time to time. But can you identify, when you think back to that season of life, can you identify some of the idols that gripped your heart during that season? Some of the idols that you were trying to utilize to maybe find a sense of rest in the midst of this world? Can you think of a few? And I bring that up because I just want to ask, are they still gripping your heart, or are you willing to draw the kind of line that Ruth was willing to draw in this portion of Scripture? Can you draw that kind of line and say, you know what, I'm not going back to that. I once utilized that, I once embraced that, but I'm not going back to that. Will you try to find, you know, this is the, the thing that we, that we wrestle with, you know, will I try to find rest for my soul in the things that I once tried to utilize, or will I trust Jesus in this new season of life, and will I trust him completely? Will I trust him completely in this new season of life, or am I going to go back to the things that I once tried to rely on? I love what we see Ruth do here because her actions show us that when the true God reveals himself to you, there is no need to return to the false gods and the idols of your past. Absolutely no need. And I know the Spirit of God helped Ruth to see that. So let me say this as we finish up this morning. Where is the Spirit of God leading you right now? Just take a brief moment of assessment of your life at this exact season. Where is the Spirit of God leading you right now? Are you moving in the direction of His leading, or does submitting your life to His leading frighten you? And if it frightens you, is it because you're afraid that He's going to take you someplace you don't want to go? Or into a context that you're just thinking, you know what, I don't know that I want to be in that kind of context, or I don't know that I want to interact with that kind of person or those kinds of people or that kind of activity or that kind of task. Here's the truth. He will never lead you where you will be worse off for having followed him. You will never be worse off for having followed the Lord where he leads you. He will never lead you where you will be worse off for having followed him. I think in the process of trusting him and letting him guide our lives, what's going to end up happening is this. We're going to grow. I think our faith is going to mature through testing. I think the testimony of the great work he's done in your life is also going to be used by him to bolster the faith of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, I love looking at this portion of Scripture and just thinking about these things. These are things that happened more than 3,000 years ago. So just wrestle with that thought. 3,000 years ago, and yet what, what, do we, what do we see? People are people. No different than we were 3,000 years ago. People are people. And Ruth's life presents the option to us. Which direction will we go? Will we go where the Spirit of God leads us, or will we return back to the life that He set us free from? Now, the process of being set free might have been messy in your case, there might have been some things that have happened in your life that you didn't expect and you didn't choose, but at the same time, God is sovereign and He allows those difficult things at times to come our way because it strengthens our faith and it actually teaches us that He can be trusted. I know one of the things that the Lord's been teaching me throughout the course of my life is that it's probably not going to be the easy things that don't stretch me that deepen my trust in Him. It's usually the harder things that I have to go through, and then after I come through on the other side, the Lord reminds me yet again, He was faithful just like the earlier seasons. 
over and over and over again. He was faithful. And then what, what do you discover as you get further into your life? You discover that it becomes more of a natural impulse in you to trust him because you've already seen what he can do and what he's been doing in your life all along the way. Going where the Spirit of God leads you is not a mistake. Listening to his counsel, being obedient to his leading, following him as he gives you the opportunity to do so is ultimately going to be something that brings benefit to your life, glorifies the name of Jesus, and also ends up with the Lord using your life as a testimony of his goodness that can bolster the faith of the others in your life that you care about. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege to be able to look at a portion of scripture like this today and to really think about the fact that you desire to lead us, but we also know that in the midst of being led, that at times you take us in directions that feel unfamiliar. And yet you make us strong in the midst of those directions because your spirit is guiding us. Lord, I know that when I look at a portion of scripture like this, I'm reminded that I could be led by my old nature, I could be led by my flesh or my flesh or my, my, my previous experiences or the type of things that I'm, I'm familiar with, or I could be led by your spirit. And Lord, at times it's much easier for me to be led by my flesh than it is to be led by your spirit because my flesh just wants to take me in directions that seem familiar and safe and predictable. And yet your spirit takes me in my life, and I think all of us can testify as we've submitted ourselves over to you, that, that your spirit takes us in directions at times that have us scratching our heads, but yet at the same time, you give us that glimmer of hope in our heart so that we could trust you even before we see the outcomes that you're producing. So Lord, thank you for giving us that kind of an example in this portion of scripture. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone right now that feels like they're at some sort of a crossroad, whether it be something related to the season of life that they're at or decisions that they've been forced to make, the context that they're living in, trials that they're experiencing in the midst of their family, I pray, Lord, that by your grace that you would give them your wisdom and your strength and your guidance, that you'd help them as they seek to walk with you and seek to lean on the counsel of your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for giving us wisdom that's beyond our own experiences. Thank you for giving us wisdom that's far beyond the type of things that we're familiar with. And thank you again for giving us the example of people that lived thousands of years ago who demonstrate your power at work in their lives, giving us a glimpse of the very type of thing that you want to do in and through us right now in this generation. We love you, Lord. We thank you for these reminders from your word today, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.